0: So, Paul and Silas have been... We saw last week they were released from prison. In chapter 17, they go to Thessalonica. And Paul finds a Jewish synagogue there. And as usual... He goes there to reason with them, to argue with them, proving that Jesus is the Christ. The message to the Jews has always been that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is the anointed one of God, because that's what the Jews were waiting for. Thessalonica here is a major port city of Macedonia, so it's a strategic place for Paul to share the gospel, because there are many people coming in and going out. And then we are told as he continued to do this, many of those who are listening to him are persuaded. You see, every time we present the gospel, there has to be an element of persuasion. You are calling people to turn to Christ. You are appealing to them to accept what God is giving. We don't just share the gospel anyhow. We word, we seek to convince and that the Holy Spirit may convict them. And so there are people here, uh, Jews, Greeks, and a few prominent women, we are told in verse 4, who believe in Paul's message, but... You look at verse 5. Other Jews were jealous. They were uncomfortable with the gospel and the fact that people were believing what Paul was sharing. These Jews are rejecting the message and they want others to reject the message as well. We are told... They rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace and formed a mob and started a riot in the city. In verse 5, they rushed to Jason's house where Paul was received and was meeting with people, looking for Paul. And when they didn't find him, they dragged Jason and brought him before the crowd. accusing Paul and his company, saying that they have caused trouble all over the world and have come here to cause trouble. And Jason has welcomed them. And they say that Paul and Silas are proclaiming that there is another king, apart from Caesar, which is true. There is another king, and his name is Jesus. And so when the crowd hear this in verse 8, the city officials were thrown into turmoil, and they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. So... Paul gets an opportunity in a synagogue, he shares the gospel, he reasons with them, he argues with them, he gives them evidences from the scripture, telling them that Jesus is the Christ who suffered, he died and he was resurrected. He proves that others believe and those who don't cause problems. when I follow the apostles' steps in the book of Acts and the challenges after challenges that they continue to face, one of the things that I ask myself is, what is it that makes them keep going on? And why is it that Christians today are not as passionate with the gospel as we see here in the scriptures? Why is it so easy for us to quit? Because the temptation to quit is always there. You come to a prayer meeting, and no one shows up. And you are discouraged. You are tempted to quit. You come to a connection branch, and you are the only one who is there. You are discouraged. Do you know that your presence is always an encouragement to the other person? That's why the Bible says, do not stop meeting together. Because when I stop, I discourage the other person. The temptation for us to quit is everywhere. Everywhere. That's why, when someone doesn't show up, if we know that you are a regular attendant, if you're not a regular attendant, when you miss, we really don't worry about you. (laughs) Because we expect it. Right? But if you are regular, we will be concerned when you miss. We are concerned and we have to follow up. We'll call you, text you, send an email. And sometimes it may feel like we are bothering you. But it's because we are concerned. We are doing this out of love. Because we understand that your presence is very important for each one of us. Your presence is an encouragement. So whenever you see us following you up, it's because we love you. And it's because... You have been a regular attendant. We count you as being part of us. But the question I'm asking is how can we as Christians keep going on when we are tempted to quit? For those of you that have been married for a long time, some of you have been married longer than I was born. I'm celebrating my birthday, they're celebrating their marriage, so which is a blessing. But what is it that kept you together? Wayne, what is it that kept you and your wife together? What? I love her very much. You love her very much. You think that's it? No. She's a good lady. She's Oh, so you stayed because of her? No. <laughs> <laughs> the temptation, have you ever in your relationship... From the day you got married, thought of quitting. You never thought. Wow. That is exceptional. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I wanted to ask you, but I will not. We we have been married for about 17 years, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, my, my wife knows the exact, uh, but I think our first few years, I was tempted to quit. I did not act on it, but I was. Sometimes things can happen where you find yourself asking, what was I thinking? In fact, I have heard married couples say to one another, I made a mistake. Yours, yours is an exceptional case, Wayne. <laughs> we we will we are glad that we have you here yeah. because we can use you as a case study. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, I have heard married couples say one say to another, "I made a mistake," and another one, say, another one saying, "But you said you loved me," and he said, "I was wrong." The temptation to quit is everywhere. We have Christians that uh, start. Very well. Like what the Bible says in Galatians, they start in the spirit. And then they finish in the flesh. That means they quit. They quit being obedient, sensitive to the spirit, following God's word, and follow their own desires. We have Christians that no longer attend church. They are no longer part of a fellowship because something happened that made them quit. The temptation temptation to quit is everywhere. We have Christians that have quit praying because they have prayed prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing happened. And therefore they stopped. There are Christians who have stopped sharing their faith. Because the first time some of them tried, it didn't go well. It didn't work out. And they were discouraged. And they stopped. The temptation to quit is everywhere. Everywhere. You may not have quit in your marriage, but you quit in something else. We have Christians that are, have failed to even have stopped to read their Bibles because whenever they read, it doesn't feel, they don't feel the connection that is supposed to be there. There is no worship, there is no fellowship with the Lord, and therefore they quit. But you look at, uh, at Paul and his companion, they go from place to place sharing the faith. They face challenges, they are beaten, they are imprisoned, they face everything that should stop them from doing that, from sharing their faith, from being faithful, and yet they keep on going on. In this relationship with the Lord, they face all kinds of obstacles. Everything that should and would stop you and me. But they don't stop. They move from one place to another. Here, we are told that that day as the people were searching for Paul... That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue again. And one of the reasons Paul keeps on going to a synagogue is because he wants to reach out to his own people. He knows that God has sent him to the Gentiles, but his heart is burning. For his own people. And so every time he gets an opportunity to do that. He takes it. He goes to a synagogue. To reason with them. To help them understand the scriptures. That are pointing to the Messiah. To Christ. And so what is it. And how. Can we keep on going on and on as Christians when we attempted to quit. I'm glad you asked. If you look at verse 11... We are told that now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in the Thessalonica than those in Thessalonica they were respectable honorable they are worthy of our attention Luke is saying here I want you to pause and focus on these people because they are different. And he says, they received the message with the greatness and with, the, with eagerness. And examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So, these Berean Jews, when they heard that Paul had come, they availed themselves to listen to him. And as he spoke, they received what he was saying. The difference between them and some people today is that we have a habit of rejecting things even before listening. Before understanding. In fact, you will hear someone say, I don't agree with you. And they didn't even understand what you were saying. And so the question is, What don't you agree with? And you don't understand what I'm saying. Because in most cases, we usually listen to ourselves. We have our positions that we've taken and those positions have locked our minds such that when someone else is speaking and we sense that what this person is saying is against what I, am, I stand for, I lock them out. I disagree before understanding. That is not wise. You don't disagree before you understand. You first understand, then you make a choice on whether you want to agree or not. And I think sometimes when people say, I disagree, actually what they mean is, I don't understand. But also, they don't want to understand. The Bereans, they listen, they receive. They are not objecting, they are open. Go ahead, say it, I'm listening. And then in the evening, they go back home, And they take their time to look at the scriptures. Yeah, he read this passage and this passage and this passage. Let us look at them and see if what he was saying is true. So, the test that they put on Paul's message was the scripture. And every time Paul passed that test... They believed what he was saying even more. They received the message with eagerness. They wanted it, but they wanted to believe what is right. And that should be our attitude as Christians. Because I believe that the only thing that will keep us going on and on is Owning our convictions. But those convictions must come from the scriptures. Others may trust in church traditions and religious traditions. But every believer in Jesus Christ must make a choice to trust in God's word. That is where... You should have said amen. Amen. You missed it. (laughs) You just missed it. Uh, Your confidence and my confidence is not found in our academic status. It's not found in our bank account. It's not found in our good reputation, our business, our jobs. It's found in the Word of God. As a believer, you must be so confident enough that you can say, the Bible tells me so. Because everything that you hold on to as a believer, if it doesn't come from the scripture, it comes from somewhere else. And I'm telling you, if you can still have the same conviction of something that is not from God's word with the same conviction that you have with something that is from God's word, you have a problem. Nothing else should take the same authority in your life as God's word. Nothing. You should be able to sing a Sunday school song that says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Not because I feel it, but because... The Bible says it. Because how you feel can change. How I feel can change. There are days I wake up and I feel that God really loves me. I feel like saying to God, God, you love me so much. Please just take a break. This is enough for me. Just go to someone else. And there are days that I wake up and I feel like, God, where are you? And only one thing can assure me, and that is His Word. And therefore I can, even when I'm not feeling well, even when I'm feeling lonely, when I am sick and tired of being sick and tired, I can still look at God's word and say, the Bible tells me so. When I feel like uh, God doesn't love me, I can look at his word and say he still loves me. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. And if you have no confidence of saying that what you believe is what the Bible says, you need to reconsider that. I will be lying to you. There are things that I say here that are are more of advice sometimes. I would say, I would use the word, I think this is I'm I'm more like sharing an advice. It may be flowing from the scripture, but it may not be exactly what the scripture is saying. But there are things that I say that are exactly what the scripture is saying, and you can go back and look. And you don't have to take my word for it. In fact, I don't expect you to believe everything that I say. I expect you to look at that scripture and take it to heart. Not to say, this is what Valerian said. I expect you to look at the Bible and say, this is what God's word is saying. Because it doesn't matter what I say if that's not what God is saying. It doesn't matter Whoever you listen to, what he's saying or she is saying, if it's not what God is saying. As a believer, you will find your confidence when you open your Bible, you read it prayerfully, you act on it faithfully, and you accept it to heart. That's the conviction that you can own. And that's what you can use to challenge any other challenge that you face. That's what you can use to avoid quitting because you can always remind yourself where your confidence is. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall stand forever. And that person who will stand will be the person that stands with God's word. And the Bereans are telling us what to do. It's a very short passage, but it's really giving us something that we can all think about. When you attempted to quit, turn with me to Isaiah 41 and see what God is saying here. Isaiah 41 from verse 10, the Bible says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and Perish, verse 13, for I am the Lord, your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. There's a difference between knowing what the Bible says and being convicted of what the Bible says. And I think what will keep us going on is not just knowing. But being convicted and owning that conviction, knowing that I have been convicted of this and I am staying with it. The Bible also says in Isaiah 40 from verse 27, Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disgraced, disregarded by God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths will grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fail. But those who wait in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I look at God's word. I look at the apostles who are facing challenges from every corner, and yet you can see them having joy and still continuing faithfully in sharing their faith, encouraging believers, planting churches, strengthening uh, the leaders. And there is only one thing that I can conclude here, and that is... When we put our cares on God's hands, God puts his peace in our hearts. When we put our cares on God's hands, he puts his peace in our hearts. And most of the times when we attempted to quit, most of the times when we quit... Is because we are trying, we try to control everything. See, the enemy wants you to focus on yourself and what is happening in your life. That's what he wants. To focus on the challenges you are facing. Focus you on yourself and the challenges that are you are facing, whether you're conflicts, whether it's with your children, your grandchildren, because there are so many things. You sit, if you have lived long, you sit and think about the people you are related to and what is happening in their lives and how that connects with you and how it can really take your joy away, your peace away. That's what the enemy wants you to do. And God Wants us to focus on him. He wants us to focus on him so that he can influence how we see what is happening in our lives. Because every time God influences how we see our circumstances, we see them differently. This is what happened with David and And who? And who? Saul. (laughs) David was sent by his father to bring pizza to his brothers. They were supposed to be fighting. He comes with pizza. He finds them shaking. There is no fighting going on. And then he looks on the other side. He sees this giant Goliath standing and threatening and defaming God and his people. David looks for the king. He finds him sitting somewhere. He is afraid. King Saul is supposed to lead the fight, but he is not. David asks, what shall be done to a person who will destroy this uncircumcised Philistine? His brothers mock him instead of supporting him, and that's, That's how Christians behave sometimes. We turn against one another. David faces the giant. King Saul looks at the same giant. He's afraid of him. The army of Israel look at the same giant. They are afraid of him. Young David comes looks at the same giant and he says, I am coming to you in the name of the Lord. Today I will cut your head off for the battle belongs to the Lord. They see the same problem, they respond differently. Why? Because David is seeing Goliath from God's perspective. David is looking at Goliath, and when he's looking at God, he realizes you are not a giant before the Lord. The real giant here is the Lord Himself. That's what happens when we see things from God's perspective. That's That's what happens when we realize that when we put our cares, In His hands, He has a way of putting His peace in our hearts because He enables us to realize that this big problem that I'm facing is nothing before the Lord. And therefore, in order to deal with it, I'm going to run to the Lord. And the best way you can do that is by going back to what the Lord has said. Going back to his word. Going back to the promises that he has made for you. And that is why every believer must open his Bible, believe it and say, this is God's word for me. The Bible is God's words for us if we are God's children. So when you are reading the Bible, you are reading your father's word for you. Now when you see it that way, You will love it. I have never received a letter from my father. I have never received anything, even a text, from my father. But when I realized that I have 66 books from my father... That changed everything. And I can say from my heart that the Bible is God's word for me. And I know that my father loves me. I know that he cares. I know that he has good plans for I know that he has prepared a place for me. I know that I can enjoy his peace and his joy. I know that I can trust him and that he remains faithful. I know that I can call on him any time. I know that he is always there and that his spirit indwells me. I know that I'm forgiven. I know that I am a child of God. I belong to his family because the Bible tells me so. And if you are not a believer, you cannot say that. You can't say from your heart. Because you haven't believed. And therefore, my encouragement to you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to turn to Christ today so that God can be your father. But for those of us who believe, my encouragement to you is, wherever you face that may tempt you to quit, remind yourself that when you put your cares on God's hands, He has a way of putting his peace in your heart. I thank you, Father. I bless you. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the good promises that you have for us. I pray that you minister to us in your own way, at our level, that you speak to us as you continue to transform us to the image of your son. And that, Father, you may use each one of us to encourage one another so that together as a family, we may grow to be more like you and so that you may be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.